Praise God. Please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 22. And I'm excited about this very next verse. And we'll be honing on a certain aspect of this verse. We've looked at verses 1 through 3, but at the tail end of verse 3, we really haven't dived in to the degree that I want to. And we really haven't gotten into the whole concept that I believe that we need to better appreciate to understand heaven. We talk about heaven, the new heavens and the new earth that the Lord will make, new Jerusalem, which will come out of heaven to the earth. And a lot of people, they have a lot of different pictures of what heaven is. Some of them, I do believe, are manufactured by Satan. Some of the things, I mean, Satan wants to make hell look fun. All your friends are going to be there. You'll be partying, which is a lie. It's outer darkness. It's eternal anguish, weeping, and torment. And there's no rest. It says they're day and night forever and ever. That's not, that's not a party, right? But he wants us to understand heaven is, you know, it's just like one long, long, long eternal church service. That's not what it is either, although there'll be plenty of worship going on for sure. Uh, but, uh, and, or he wants us to think that we're just kind of sitting on a cloud, kind of just playing a harp forever, you know. Those are just caricatures of weirdness that aren't, you know, what the Bible says about the eternal kingdom and uh, serving him. And we're actually going to be serving him, you know. And when you get your brain around that, and there's not going to be any sweat, there's not going to be any pain in it, it's going to be just full joy. You know, if you ever do something, you're just so happy about doing it, it's going to be beyond that. And chapter 22, verses 1 through 3, and I know we're focusing more on 3, but so we get the context. Look at the Word of God, God's Word to us, the authority of His Word, we have it, praise you, Father. And I'm commanded as a pastor, preach the Word, it says. So verse 1, it says, then He showed me a river of the water of life clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And keep in mind, if you've been with us, and if you haven't, the context here is heaven basically comes down to earth. New Jerusalem is a heavenly city. And a lot of people misconceive where heaven's at. Right now, it's in, in the heavenlies. It's, it's, it's you know, uh, not, a, not this earth. But New Jerusalem, where God the Father and God the Son will reign, comes down as a bride prepared for her husband. And we're the bride. We occupy it. And it comes to the earth and sets on this earth. So most Christians don't know that either. But it's right here in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and 23. And we see out of the throne of God, that is speaking of the Father there and the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, who's at his right hand on the throne, the clear crystal river comes forth. And verse 2, in the middle of its street, on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of uh, the nations. And we actually spent four Sundays on verse 2. We're only going to spend one Sunday on verse 3. But hopefully it'll be very meaningful to you. We talked about, it's because we had a lot of devotional messages on bearing fruit for the Lord in this world too. Amen. And we talked about the tree of life and how amazing it's going to be. And then in verse 3 we read, there will no longer be what? There will no longer be any curse. Praise God for that. Amen. When we realize that we're under the curse, the human race is under the curse of the law. Death, pain, tears, all that's wiped away as we read at the beginning of chapter 21. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it his very throne. We've talked about that a bit, so we won't spend too much time on that, but it's God's kingdom, and we're subject of his kingdoms. And notice what it says at the end of verse 3. You really want to appreciate this. And it says at the end of verse 3, and his bond servants will what? Serve him. 
You're either a servant or of God or you're a servant of Satan. Bob Dylan, one of the most popular, you know, singers. Well, I don't even know how he became a popular singer. He his voice. But most popular artist of all time. Well, I know how he became that. Look, look at our video. They sold their souls for rock and roll or the update on YouTube. You'll see how he became that. But he said, you, he sang about, I have to serve God. You have to serve somebody was one of his songs. You're going to serve the Lord or you're going to serve Satan. And he got that, that part right. Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. So you're going to be a servant one way or another. We're created to serve. Just like we're created to worship. The word worship is a synonym for serve. So you're going to serve God or you're going to serve Satan. Oh, I don't serve anybody. I just serve myself. Well, you're serving Satan then. Because Satan is the first rebel and you're following his footsteps. And he's the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that works through the children of disobedience, those who serve self. I choose to serve the Lord God. And therefore, guess what? Those who are bond servants of the Lord, as it says here, doulos, which is directly translated slave, we're going to serve the Lord forever. So we're, I'm, I'm excited about that because I would be kind of bored after, you know, thousands of years of just playing a harp, you know? Although, man, believe me, I've got a guitar. I play guitar. I love to, and everybody's going to be able to play guitar or play harp, which could blow away any guitars today, by the way. So, and I know that because in Revelation, you know, you it talks about how they fall and they, they, play the, they play harps, you know, they play stringed instruments. Everybody's going to sing. Nobody's going to have a bad voice. You don't have to need, you don't need clouds to filter your voice to God or anything like that. And uh, because guess what? There's no pain in heaven. That's why I know that nobody has a bad voice, you know? <laughs> Everything's perfect, you know? So that's going to be awesome. But it's amazing that we're going to serve him forever. And this is really interesting because this was God's original intent for us. Remember in Genesis chapter 1 when he made Adam and Eve, made the first human beings? In chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, that's, that's a blow mind right there, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And Adam was given the task of naming each one. And the millennium, the new Jerusalem is like an extension and even beyond extension glorification of the beauty that we see in the millennial period. In the millennial period, it talks about the little boy will be able to play at the snake hole and not have any harm. And it talks about the wolf and the lamb and the lion all grazing together. And they're not eating each other. You know, you have lions and, 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 you know, wolves eating animals and so forth. And we're going to be ruling in the new creation, which is beyond anything we can see. Keep in mind, the scriptures say it hasn't come into the mind, right, of the hearts of men as to what God has prepared for those who love him. Amen? And it says it's going to be exceedingly abundantly above that which you dream or think. Because when we pray, it says he answers us exceedingly abundantly beyond what we dream or think. So the most wonderful heaven that you could dream up pales compared to what he has going. That's a blow of mind when you think about it. Now it's interesting. We're called servants here, bond servants, doulos. And, I wanna, and I've been doing a word study off and on. Through the years, I've studied doulos. But I've given a lot of attention, several hours of study, to this particular Greek word. I love to do word studies and look at Greek words and study them. And, and doulos has always been one of my, I have a lot of favorites, but one of my favorite Greek words because of the meaning behind it and its relationship between us and Jesus and even its relationship to how Jesus is called the suffering servant, that God became a servant. It just blows me away. I could almost weep when you, and, and hopefully you'll get to the point where you can really appreciate this word, not only as it relates to you and how it applies to your life and the mindset that you ought to have regarding God, but in your appreciation of 
God becoming a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we think of doulos, it, it speaks of, as I said, a slave. It's usually translated servant, sometimes bondservant, sometimes slave, depending on the translation that you have. But the, it's hard to find a perfect translation of that word. And I'll tell you why in a minute. It definitely speaks of our humility before God. That he created us, you know, mankind out of the dust, humanity out of the dust of the ground. He animated us. He gave us life. He gave us all kinds of blessings that we don't deserve, you know. The, the consciousness, uh, the, the, the ability to be loved and reciprocate that love. To appreciate a sunrise or a sunset, you know. To thousands of taste buds on your tongue. Like I say, so he could have just given you a pill that you eat once a day. But he said, no, I'm going to create wonderful food to bless them, you know. So, so good that a lot of you, like me, you struggle with this battle of the bulge sometimes. You just got to, Lord, help me, you know, it's so good. You know, keep me moving, keep me exercising, you know. Uh, it's just amazing when you think of his goodness, but we actually have to keep in mind who we are. We're made out of, you know, God made everything from nothing. So ultimately we came from nothing by the sheer power of God. And then he animated us from the dirt he made. And we can't even make a blade of, of grass, Right? Oh, yeah, I can. I just get a seed and put it in the, in the dirt. No, you know, God says, get your own seed, get your own dirt. Okay, right? God is the one who gives us everything. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Now, this is what blows me away. When you read the word doulos in the New Testament Greek, which, by the way, is over and over again found throughout the New Testament, when you read that word, it would have connotation like, wow, just total, you know, absolute surrender to your master is what it, it, the word speaks of, doulas, which we'll get into a little bit more later. But I want you to understand this at this point is, however, think about this. A doulas, even though he was owned by his master, his status was raised by the position of his master. Therefore, he had... Uh, he shared in his master's, depending on how good the master was and what he shared with him, but in his position to a degree. I mean, he had a status because he was so-and-so's master. Well, who is our master? God Almighty. In fact, I titled this message, Servants of the Most High. Our, our, our master isn't some guy down the street that just happens to have a lot of money. He's not even an angel. He's the creator the, un the uncreated creator of all things, amen? Our creator, our redeemer, the lover of our souls. And so when you read throughout the scripture, so-and-so is a servant of God, that's a huge deal. It's like, you serve who? You serve God. Now it's interesting, in the Old Testament, we see all these men of God rejoicing in their, their, their to be called a servant of God, Amen? And it's interesting, James chapter 1, verse 9 says to the poor uh, believers uh, in humble circumstances, like you're in really tough situations, I can't wait till we go through James. After, uh, son, after Revelation study, the next book we go through on Sunday is the book of James, which is one pearl of wisdom and how to live life skillfully after another that God drops into our hearts. Just the whole book, James starts with all these admonitions and he just all the way through and ends with them. So I'm like, wow, we're going to really grow 
in the Lord by going through James. But James 1.9 says, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Wow. Not pride in yourself. God doesn't want us to have pride in ourselves because our sufficiency is of him and all praise goes to him. But he wants you to rejoice in that he's given you a high position, amen, and given you, created you, redeemed you, and given you a position in his kingdom to serve him not only now, but forever and ever. Amen? Way back in Genesis, we read that we, we read the, about uh, Abraham, and it speaks of, God speaks in chapter 16, verse 24, of my servant Abraham, called the servant. Isaac, your servant Isaac, in chapter 24, verse 14. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 25, uh, says, the lamb which I gave to my servant Jacob, they're all called servants. In Job 1.8, Job's called a servant. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, right? In Exodus 14.31, it says, Moses, his servant. In Joshua 24.29, we read Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of Yahweh. Wow, the Lord. In Numbers 14.24, it says, my servant Caleb. In 2 Samuel 3.18, it says, but by my servant David, I'll rescue you, I'll rescue my people from, of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. In Isaiah chapter 20, verse 3, it says, my servant Isaiah. In Daniel 6.20, it says, Daniel, servant of the living God. Amen? That's pretty awesome. Amen? All these men of God were rejoicing that they were called to be servants of his. Tough to be a servant of his in this world. But man, we have all of eternity before us, amen, to serve us without the sweat of your brow uh, and just to love on him forever. In the New Testament, you see the same thing going on with the men of God. In Romans 1.1, it states, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.1, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ. 2 Peter 1.1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, I'm James, I'm Jesus' half-brother. Nope, James says, James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jude, who's the half-brother of, of James and our half-brother of Jesus as well, but the brother of James, you know? He says, a bondservant of Christ and the brother of James to those who are the called. Uh, brothers and sisters, we are all called servants of the Lord who belong to Christ. If you have been bought by Christ's blood, you've been saved from sin and self and Satan and hell because you've embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Man, you're, you're saved, but you are a servant of the living God and you need, God wants you to view yourself as a servant, his servant. Not serving your own appetites in yourself, but serving the one true God. In fact, when you look at Revelation chapter seven, since you're, we're in Revelation, go to chapter seven and go and turn to verse three. And, and in Revelation, oh, by the way, uh, uh, in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 1, you can, don't have to turn there, but you know, the, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto his servants to show them the things that must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified by his angel to his servant John, who bear record and da, da, da. So he addresses it to the servants, to address to you. You're a servant of God. And in Revelation 7, 3, we read, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. That's speaking of the 144,000 Jews. Now read Revelation chapter 7, verse 15. Now this is talking about the great multitude that no man can number from all the different nations, kindreds, peoples, and tongues that come out of the great tribulation. For this reason they are servant, or, or, I'm sorry, for this reason they are before the throne of God and they serve him 
day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will spread his tabernacle over them. This is just amazing. In Revelation chapter 19, you could go there to Revelation 19 verse 2 and we read uh, this. Because his judgments, they're rejoicing when Babylon's destroyed. God's people, his saints, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his what? Bondservants on her. He cares about us, man. He, he will avenge the saints, and the blood of the Christians will be shed from coast to coast, from nation to nation. When the Antichrist reigns right now, we see this anti-Christian uh, sentiment, you know, throughout the world anti-Jewish sentiment. This is all prophesied in the Bible. Even though Christians have done more a million times over uh, than any humanistic organization to better humanity by blessing people and building hospitals and schools for 2,000 years and millions of them selflessly serve God without even asking for a penny to this day, right? They're villainized and demonized because the philosophy of this world is not to serve God but to serve self. And if God or even a person gets away, I mean, right now, there's, there's uh, I just saw a, what was it? I think it was a uh, billboard put out by California Newsom, you know, is, you know, talking about, hey, you know, the, the, it says something like, you know, not, I'm paraphrasing it, but it says, if you're looking to murder your little baby, don't worry, we can help you and just give us the money and we'll assassinate your little boy or little girl before they're born while they're in the womb. And, you know, we'll, we'll use taxpayers' money to help us do it. Well, it doesn't exactly say that, but it says if you want an abortion, you know, we'll, we'll help you. Okay, same thing, okay? And we live in a wicked world where the blood of, and I'll tell you what, when enough people agree, and when Revelation, during the reign of the beast, and in different nations throughout the history of Christianity, Christians have been slaughtered at different times. If you can kill little babies, I've always said, if you can kill the most innocent people on the earth, innocent little babies, you can kill anyone. And if you can sanction that to get your own will, well, guess what? They're going to want their own will then. But God's going to avenge this. And, but guess what? For those who are his servants, he will reward them in the end. Revelation chapter 11. You can hop way down to verse 18 there because it's at the second coming of Christ, the seventh trumpet, the last trumpet. And in verse 18, we read of the outcome of that. And it says this. It says, And the nations were enraged. That's when Christ comes back. And your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged. And the time to reward your what? Your bondservants. And prophet, uh, the prophets, those are the bondservants and the saints, those are all bondservants. And those who fear your name, the small and the great. And to destroy those who destroy the earth. Brothers and sisters, man, God's going to reward his servants. Now, we don't deserve any rewards. What do we deserve? Wrath. wrath right? So we just be so thankful. Thank you for not having wrath upon us and let us live in your kingdom. But he wants to reward us. Jesus says when the servant comes in and he's done his master's will, he doesn't sit down. The master doesn't say, hey, thank you so much because that's what the servant owes him. But guess what? God is so loving and caring. He goes, you know what? Even though you deserve wrath, I'm going to save you. And then he guess what? I'm going to just reward all these things that you've done. <laughs> you know? Because he's such a good God. It's pretty amazing when you think about it. Now, it gets more amazing because why are we servants? It, def it, def it defines who else we are. And by the way, what do servants do? How are you serving the Lord? Are you serving the Lord? Are you ministering to him and, and we're ex exalting him and 
witnessing for him, shining the light for him? Are you encouraging your brothers and sisters? Do you go the extra mile to see how you can help people? When there's needs around you and you see that people need help, do you try to step forward and help them in some tangible way? You know, uh, there's all kinds of ways we can serve him. But we're called to be servants of the Most High God. What a privilege we have. You know, it's interesting because we serve, and this is something else you are. Some of you are saying, I get, wow, if you're new to this fellowship, you're like, wow, I'm a servant of God. That's pretty awesome. But guess what else you are, man? You are a priest. You're, yeah, you are a priest, you know. Uh, in 1 Timothy 2.5, it says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house, a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When I came in today, man, uh, Joe Bowman greeted me and he said, what are you part of a royal priesthood? And I thought, he didn't even know this is in my message. It was kind of weird. And I'm like, uh, yeah, actually we are. I, and I, then I realized, because I'm wearing purple, you know? I go, oh, pff, that's what he's talking about. Okay. And I don't, you know, my wife dressed me today. I had my shirt ready. And she goes, hey, it's your birthday, you know? I got like three shirts out. She doesn't usually pick my shirts out, but once in a blue moon, I thought, okay, well, I'll wear one of them that she wants me to wear. And uh, she goes, I want you to wear the purple. I go, okay, I'll wear it. I go, that's kind of fun, interesting. And then Buck says that. I go, oh, Lord, you just have a great sense of humor. Because it's my birthday. I'm wearing royal priesthood. And the, the scripture I was going to use, I didn't put that all together. And then Buck says that. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. And then I thought about, well, we've been reborn. Amen, all of us. And we've all been born into a royal priesthood. The very day you were born again, you became part of a royal priesthood. And it's quite amazing when you think about it. In fact, the book of Revelation and the rest of the Bible, they only talk about how we are priests. But the book of Revelation talks about how we're servants, right? We've seen those scriptures. But also talks about how we are priests to God. You see, think about where we're going. We're going to New Jerusalem. Remember what I told you that New Jerusalem, when you read Revelation 21 and 22, what is, it, is, it, what is it in the shape of? The sanctuary, but specifically what in the sanctuary? The, the Holy Holies, amen. The Holy Holies, amen. The Holy Holies, which, which, you know, which the only high priest could go in once a year, right? Because it was all of God's holiness. Just as, you'd be killed, man, if you tried to walk in there and you weren't the high priest. The high priest had to make sure the proper sacrifices were done. Well, guess what? Christ is our high priest, amen? But we're part of the body of Christ. He's our high priest, but we're part of a royal priesthood. And New Jerusalem is shaped just like the Holy Holies. It's not an accident. It's a return to Eden. When you look at, but beyond Eden, because Eden, Adam and Eve were in the very presence of God. They didn't have to cower and hide when they were walking with him. Because when you see New Jerusalem, it's described as a garden, a forest city, right? And as a temple, it says there's no temple there because it is, the Lord God is a temple. And he lights up the entire thing and we're in his temple. But guess what? Only the priest could go in there, right? The high priest, guess what? Because of Jesus, we all get to go in there. But that was a picture of the ultimate Holy of Holies, which was God's presence. And we are going to serve him as a priest would serve him in the tabernacle. And therefore, we are called priest. In Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 uh, through 6, it says, To him who loved us and released us from our sins by his own blood. Right? It goes on to say, And he has made us a kingdom of priests to God. We are a kingdom of priests. Revelation chapter 5, verses 9 and 10 says, They sang a new song. 
saying, worthy, these are the redeemed, uh, you know, uh, of the redeemed. Worthy are you to take the book of, and break its seals, for you were slain and purchased to God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. It says, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So you're thinking, oh, a thousand years, that's the millennium, but I thought, are we just going to reign a thousand years? No, that's just the first part of it. Listen to this, Revelation chapter 22, which is where we're at, right? Verses, but if we kept reading, we'll read, and his bond servants will serve him, and they will see his face, verses four and five, and his name will be on their foreheads, verse five, and there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of the lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. That's why Jesus said that when you're faithful with, you know, a certain amount of minus, he'll give you more minus and you'll reign over many cities. What exactly that looks like? I don't know. But be faithful. Amen? God's called us to be faithful. And that's so important. Now, the Greek word, as I said, mean, doulos means slave. In the NASB, you're seeing it in the New Testament translated over and over again as bondservant. Okay? Not that it's never translated slave, but oftentimes it's translated bondservant. Now, this is very interesting because I had mentioned to you that the word is used a lot, doulos. It's used over, it's the second most used word in the New Testament to describe Christians. Do you know that? Doulas. Over a hundred times. A hundred and twenty times, actually. In fact, the first word that's translated the most is muthates in Greek. Muthates is translated disciple. First word, we're disciples. And God wants to start seeing ourselves as disciples. Disciples are learners, are followers of Christ. Amen. Second word, because we're followers of Christ and we're learners and be taught by him, we apply those things to our lives and therefore we're servants. Amen? Amen? Those are the two most important words as used of Christians as far as usage goes, which I think is very, very important. Now, in Revelation 22, 3, where it says the servants, douloi is used. Douloi is just simply the plural of doulos, right? The noun uh, servant. And it's interesting because we serve him in his eternal tabernacle, which is his very presence for all eternity in New Jerusalem. And it's interesting because doulos is a very strong word for slave when you're reading in the New Testament Greek. And it's important because a doulos, uh, he could be forced to work without pay. He was just, that's what he, he existed for his master and served, fully served his master but it's kind of interesting, a new interesting phenomenon took place because when the New Testament Greek, where you would just read slave when you read doulos, you just read slave. And when it started to be translated, even its first translation into Latin, they changed the word doulos to servant, okay? Now, a servant and a slave are not necessarily ex exactly the same thing when you look at languages. And it's true in the New Testament. That's why we need to get our heads around this word doulos and its meaning so we better appreciate who we are in Christ and who we belong to. And so the Latin translated doulos into a Latin word that simply meant servant, but didn't have at all to mean slave. 
In fact, our English translations have done the same thing. In fact, you have seen right here in the NASB, which is a good translation, and it translates it servant, but it translates it bondservant. Now, they're trying to make it stronger than just a regular servant, so they put bondservant there. And I appreciate that translation because a bondservant was often an indentured servant who had a huge debt. And it wasn't like the Atlantic slave trade, right, where you were kidnapped from your land like Africa and then forced to be a slave. That's forbidden in the Bible. The Bible talks about uh, slave traders or kidnappers, as it's also translated in 1 Timothy 1.10, that God's law is against that. God did not allow people to just go around and take people as their slaves. That's called kidnapping. It was forbidden in the scripture. So a lot of times when you have the atheist trolls on the net, they'll say, oh, you know, God is for, you know, the Atlantic slave trade. No, he wasn't, you know. In fact, God's word says that those who have slaves were to treat them uh, kindly. We're not to brutalize them and so forth. And the Lord says, if you can get out of your slavery, do it. Well, if you owed someone a debt, you had to pay that debt. And you'd serve for six years. And God had a law after someone, someone might owe 30 years of work. And you, but after six years, they were to be set free, even though they still had a debt. They were, God forgave them that debt. And the, the, the master had to let them go after six years of service. Now, it's quite interesting when you think about this, but in the New Testament, when they're reading the word doulos, keep in mind, a lot of these letters are written primarily, you know, or largely to Gentile world where they had doulos, okay? They had slaves. Some believe over half the Roman population was slaved in some way. We can't know that for sure, but there were an awful lot of slaves. And they're, 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 the type of slavery they had, believe it or not, was way worse than what the Bible, when you owe somebody, somebody, by the way, when you were serving somebody for six years, they were supposed to be entreated, uh, even though they were your servant, they were slave. You're, as I said, you're supposed to still treat them good. A doulos in the Roman world in the first century, uh, whether where Romans treated the, the Roman Empire, they treated the slave, you had no rights, absolutely zero, which was true of a doulos typically, but you also could be brutalized, you could be destroyed, you could be raped as a woman. That's all messed up. In fact, in the Atlantic slave trade, as bad as that was and wicked that was, there were certain laws that prohibited things like that. Although they still allowed for very wicked treatment. And America had, has a lot of you know, blood on its hands, not only from abortion, but the slave trade in the past. And, and those who didn't repent of that you know, would be in huge trouble with God, of course. But when we're talking about, I'm trying to get you to understand how important the word is when you see bondservant, and I am grateful, I am grateful that I understand where they're coming with this, but some of the translators are sugarcoating, sugarcoating, most translators sugarcoat doulos, modern translations, and just translate it servant. There's a, I have a problem with that. In fact, the ESV, which is a very good translation in some ways, and when, when the Reformed view isn't trying to be pushed and smuggled in there to one degree or another, uh, it's a very good translation for the most part, uh, but they give the rationale as to why they don't always translate doulos slave. And they state, quote, where absolute ownership by a master is enviasaged, slave is used. When a more limited form of servitude is in view, bond servant is used. Where the context indicates a wide range of freedom, as in John 5.41, servant is preferred. Now, the, I, on, on the surface, I, I understand what they're doing. They're saying, hey, when it's obviously a do loss in the context of a slave slave with no rights and so forth, that's used. But other times when there's limited servant, you know, or, or a bond servant, when there's even more, 
then you have what? You have uh, just the word servant. But there's a problem with this, I have with this. The problem I have with this is there's half a dozen Greek words or more actually that means servant. Some of them are used in the New Testament. When God doesn't mean doulos, slave, he picks other words for servant. Are you understand what I'm saying? So if God wanted to use a word that just meant servant and not slave, he could have easily done it. The Holy Spirit could have inspired that. Are you with me? In fact, let me give you some examples. The New Testament uses words for servant like uh, mestizos. And mestizos is, uh, you know, a common word. Oketes uh, uh, is another Greek word. Another one is uh, uh, diakonos. And you know, some of you guys know what a diakonos is. Some of you are diakonoses in this fellowship. That's the word we get deacon from. The word deacon from is from diakonos. And now, there's, now we're all servants of the Lord in the sense of servants, right? But a diakonos was one who was called to uh, and is today in the churches today here in our fellowship and tens of thousands of other churches who have a special uh, task to uh, function in, in a local fellowship to bring forth the glory of God and make sure it runs smoothly so people can be encouraged in Christ, can hear the word of God, can grow in Christ, and so forth. They, they, they form a very, very important part of the fellowship. And they do wonderful things. But the Lord didn't use these words when he translates it, do loss, 120 times. He could have used any of these words, right? And the point is, is that because certain servants that have these words as designation, they could be a servant in society, they could be hired uh, for a menial task or a very complex task, and they could be paid accordingly, and they could still be called a servant. But a doulos fully belonged to his master. He was considered the master's property. He didn't have any self-rights to do his own thing. He served his master. He was allocated a lower position than a servant, Okay. Uh, a doulas uh, didn't have his own possessions. Uh, he, he were a servant with those other words, could have his own possessions. Uh, he didn't have a life of his own. He didn't have his own property. Uh, he couldn't travel anywhere without his master's consent. Uh, he existed to please and serve his master. Now, the New Testament speaks of us not only with the word doulas over and over again, but when you realize who you're serving, who your master is, and you realize the privilege you have in being his servant, a rocket can't get as high and beautiful as that gets. However, keep in mind, the New Testament says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, that we are not our own. It says you're not your own. You're bought with a price. We're doulases. Douloi in the Greek uh, plural. In 1 Corinthians 6, 20 and 7, 23, it says we are bought with a price. In Titus 2, 14 and Second or First Peter two nine it says that we are people of his own possession. Second Peter one says our master purchased us. I'm sorry. Second Peter two one, uh, Acts chapter twenty says that God bought us with His own blood. And listen to First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you have received, which you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Wow. That's heavy. Well, I want to be independent of God. I want to do my own thing. Well, that's what Satan did. You want to be your own God. You didn't create the universe. You don't exist in and of yourself. God does. You don't. You were given life by God. You should be so happy to be given the gift of life. 
and they love you so much he was slaughtered on the cross to save you. So you could be a servant. That's where our mentality should be, amen? And we should have joy, like, wow, praise God, I get to serve him. Quit serving just yourself. The Bible says, don't just look at the, your own interests, but look at the interests of others, amen? amen? We need to serve God. Murray Harris, it, this book is pretty excellent, by Murray Harris, uh, called Slave of Christ. If you want to do re deeper research on this, then I'm allowed to go in this service. You can get Slave of Christ on Amazon by Murray Harris. M-U-R-R-A-Y Harris. Listen to what he writes. In the 20, 20, 20th century Christianity, we have replaced the expression total surrender with the word commitment. And slave with servant. But there is an important difference. A servant gives service to someone, but a slave belongs to someone. We commit ourselves to do something, but we surrender ourselves to someone we give ourselves up. Amen? As Christians, we're supposed to not, I'll commit myself to a little bit of service to the Lord. No, we're supposed to surrender to him, recognize that we belong to him. Amen? Who do you think is going to resurrect you, right? Unto eternal life. We already have the gift, but he's going to resurrect your body and give your resurrected body unto eternal life. So now, what some people do is they just focus on we're slaves of Christ, and that's good to a degree, but you don't want to relinquish the other metaphors that are used to explain our relationship with God it, to exclusivity of, hey, we're just slaves for God. I'm just a slave of God. Well, you are, and I am as well, and you can say that, but guess what else you are? The Bible says we're children of God, John 1.12. Jesus says the servant doesn't stay in the house forever, but the son does. And he that sunsets free will be free indeed. Amen? And the truth will set you free. He said that all in John 8. And, Jesus, and the Bible says in John 1, 12, as many as received him, he gave the privilege to become the children of God. Amen? So we're also children of God. What in the world? And we're also the bride of Christ. Talk about radical metaphors. We're the body of Christ. We become one with him. In marriage, two become one. That's a picture that God's given us. Amen? That the two would become one flesh. And husband and wife relationship is a picture how we have become one with Christ because he's our groom and, and we're the bride of Christ, the church, amen? And we'll forever be one with Christ as the bride of Christ, joint heirs of his eternal kingdom forever and ever. Whew. Now some will press that metaphor and they'll forget we're slaves of God. Uh, wow, we're children of God. I'm a king's kid. I'm gonna live as a king's kid. God wants me to have a, have a Rolls Royce and everything. No, you're also a doulos, amen? You're also the bride of Christ, so be respectful. And it's amazing. And we think of Adam and Eve. I've given you in-depth teachings on how Adam and Eve, Adam is a picture of Christ, but he blew it. Jesus called the last Adam, the second Adam. Eve, the mother of the living, is a picture of the bride of Christ. Amen? And together they ruled. Amen? That's a picture of the church ruling with Christ in the millennial period and then forever and ever. Amen? But they served him as a bride. And by the way, the word husband the biblical word husband means owner. But it's a picture of the fact that God owns us. He made us. But he loves us. He made us his image so we could, have, we, we could enjoy what he has because love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. Amen. He's a giving God. He wants to share that love. And then he brings us in this you know, mind-blowing relationship. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Now, we're also called the friends of God. Amen. Slaves weren't typically friends of their masters. In fact, Jesus is not only our master and our spiritual bridegroom, 
and a friend that sticks, but he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In fact, remember what Jesus said. We just studied bearing fruit for three weeks in John 15 in light of Revelation 22. And in John 15, 15, Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants, doulas, slaves, for the servants does, the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Wow. We don't cease to be the bride when we're his friends. We don't cease to be friends when we're his children. We don't cease to be slaves when we're, when we're, when we're any of those things. We're all those things. But guess what? He, even though he regards us for who we really are, his servants, he also says you're more than that because I'm making you my friends. I'm making you my bride. I'm disclosing to you my passions, my purposes, amen? My plans for eternity because I love you, amen? amen? Now, what's crazy about this is, <laughs> it's all crazy in a good way, right? Is he is so, cares so much about us. If a slave went into ruination, ran away, ripped off his, his master, so forth, he could be put to death easily. We were rebels against our master, our God. But guess what? He came and died in our place. That's why we read in Revelation chapter 22, verse 3, that it says there's no more curse there. Right before it says that as his bondservants will serve him forever. I don't mind bondservant as a translation. I prefer doulas, slave. But guess what? When people read slave and they don't understand the context, what, what connotations come to mind? The Atlantic slave trade, right? They think, What? You know, so bond servants, I like that because it's stronger than servant. And a bond servant was an indentured servant typically that had to pay back a debt and was totally, totally owed his service to his master because he was in debt to him. That's a good picture of us, amen? It's limited still. So I, I don't mind slave or bond servant personally. Either way, you have to explain the meaning. Somebody's verse reads a bond servant for the first time. What's that? You know, a slave, but slave, they jump to a conclusion more often. So I don't have a hard time with bond servant. I think that's a good translation. Slave is more direct. So if I'm teaching on doulas, I'm going to talk about, hey, let's, this is a, has a heavy meaning here, man. God expects you to be, because we're more than just indentured servants as well, amen? <laughs> he created us, amen? So I don't think there's, there's any perfect word to really fill up the brain of a person that reads the text without them assigning things to it unless they come naked before God saying, okay, what does this mean? And then look into the word, amen? Which is what we do as students of Scripture, so I, I'm, I'm good with the, trans I, personally, I would translate it slave or bondservant with both times though, I've put footnotes in my Bible and said, this is what God's saying here. Understand context, you know? But the crazy thing is, is that God, it says, there'll be no more curse there and his bondservants will serve him, right? Amazing, no more curse there. That's because our Lord became cursed for us, amen? Galatians chapter three says, that all those who do not continue in everything of the law, ought to do all the things of the law, are under a curse. We're under a curse. Adam and Eve fell, thorns and thistles came up, right? The ground was cursed. There's all kinds of curses because of our rebellion against God. But Galatians chapter 3 goes on to say, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Amen? The Bible tells us that in Galatians 3 that Christ became a curse for us. He took the curse that we deserved. Amen? That's not like a typical master. Amen? That's, like, that's our awesome God to deliver us from the cursed law so we could be free to serve him. And, uh, but guess what? We're debtors to him now. 
But Paul's talked about all over again, we're debtors to the gospel. We can never pay it back, but that's the mentality we should have. Not that we're going to pay it back, but man, I owe God everything. Even before he died for your sins, you owe him everything because he gave you everything. It all belongs to him. But then he died, man, there's double debt there, you know. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus said, even, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Catch that. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. See, the Bible talked about how a slave could be redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman would have to be his near relative. And we were all enslaved to sin, to self, to Satan. We were servants of Satan before we were Christians. And we need to be redeemed. But we didn't have a kinsman that could redeem us and pay that price. Because the, the Bible says a soul is very costly and no one can redeem his brother. Now we're in a bind. I'm a servant of Satan. I'm going to hell and nobody can buy me because the soul it says is costly and no one can redeem his own brother. I can't redeem you. You can't redeem me because we have our own sin. Amen? Amen? And we're not righteous. We're not perfect. That's why God became a man. And that's why he gave the kinsmen redeemer laws in the Old Testament to foreshadow as a picture of what God would do in the future and that he would have to become a man to save us. That's why Christ said he came to not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen? In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, let me tell you some of the things you've been redeemed from. You say, well, I don't want to serve God. Well, guess what? You're enslaved. I don't want to be a slave. You're already enslaved. You're enslaved to either God or Satan. But listen to what happens when you get redeemed. Ten things I wrote down that you get set free from because you're a total slave. You're a servant of the devil who, does, who hates your guts and wants to bring you to pit and be down with him forever. That's not good. God wants to bless you for all eternity. Here's 10 things God redeems us from. I love this. Number one, he redeemed us from spiritual death. In fact, notice the language that's used. It speaks in terms of him becoming our kinsman. God be, taking flesh and blood, becoming like us to redeem us. In Hebrews 2.15, it says, Now since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity. And it says a little bit later, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Wow, thank you, Jesus. John 5.24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into condemnation, but has passed out of death into life. Number two, he frees you from servitude to Satan. In John 8, 44, Jesus said to the Pharisees, religious leaders who were not trusting him, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out the, your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and the father of lies. Well, how do we get set free? Because our kinsman redeemer not only saved us from death, but from Satan. Hebrews 2, uh, 2, 14 and 15, listen more closely now. Now since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in the humanity, so that by death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and set free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. In chapter 3 of 1 John, I think it's verse 8, you know, it says, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, amen? 
How many glad you can be free from Satan's power? Because the Bible says the whole world is under the power of the evil one, 1 John 5, 19. Not us as Christians. It says we know that we are of God, but the whole world is under the power of the evil one. We've been set free from Satan's power, power of demonic forces. We've been set free from uh, death. We've been set free, number three, from servitude to the bondage of sin. Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. That's John 8, 34 and 36. Praise God. Remember when before you knew Jesus, you used to serve sin, man. You used to have all these wicked habits that just drove you into the ground. But Jesus sets us free when we put our, repent and turn to him with repentant faith. Amen. Number four, we have freedom from serving and idolizing ourselves. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 says, and he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Are you living for yourself? Are you living for Jesus? Live for Jesus, man. If you're visiting today, you might say, man, well, I didn't know what I was in for. This is true Christianity, folks. That's all it is. I'm just reading off the pages. I came to just kind of feel good about my sin. Don't come here. <laughs> Wrong place, you know. But I don't think that's why you came here. I think you came here because you love Jesus, and hopefully that's it. If not, fall in love with him because he wants to set you free from all that, from serving Satan and death and, and being in hell forever. Amen. Number five, he sets us free from seeking the approval of men, the fear of man. Galatians 1.10. For, for am I now seeking the favor of men, Paul writes, or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a slave of Christ. Wow. Number six, he sets us free from bondage to trying to keep the law of Moses, which we're not under anymore because now we've been set free and we're under the new covenant. The New Testament, Testament means covenant. We're under the new covenant and now we're under the law of Christ. Amen? He sets us free from the law of Moses. And you can even throw another one there uh, and the customs, religious customs and legalism of men where people put things upon people that God doesn't call them to be under. Listen to what it says in Romans 7, 4. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who has raised from, uh, who God raised from the dead. Colossians chapter two, right? Says, therefore, do not let anyone act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were still living in the world, do you submit to such decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? In other words, we're not in bondage to human laws. We submit to the law of Christ. Amen? That's very, very important. Number seven, he sets us free from Hades. Okay? Hades is the underworld where when you, go to, when you die, you know Jesus, the absent advised to be present with the Lord. Amen? But if you die in rebellion, like the rich man who, you know, the poor guy Lazarus was trying to get little crumbs from his, his table, competing with the dogs and being licked by these dogs because he had sores all over. He died. He was taken into, the, into Abraham's bosom. I don't have time to explain this whole thing at the t this time. We've done this a number of times. Uh, now, when you die, you go to be with the Lord in heaven. But the wicked go to Hades, where the rich man was, and it says he was in agony in his torment. And it's interesting because we read in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, when John the Apostle sees Jesus appearing in much of his glory, his face shined like the sun, his eyes were flame of fire. He fell down before him as a dead man in Revelation chapter 1. And Jesus put his right hand upon him and said, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I have the keys of death and of Hades. Amen. Praise God for that. Number eight, we have freedom from the lake of fire. 
Well, didn't you just say that? No, the lake of fire is not Hades. Hades is a contemporary holding facility for the wicked who reject God. And I compare it to like the county jail where you're temporarily put there until you're sentenced to the federal penitentiary. The lake of fire is like the federal penitentiary. That's at the great white throne judgment, you know, after the millennial period and before New Jerusalem. It talks about how the dead will all be raised and they'll stand before God, the great white throne judgment. And they'll be judged according to their works. You don't want to be judged according to your works without the blood of Christ, man. And because, and if anyone's name was not found written in the, the book of life, he was thrown alive into the lake of fire. That's coming in the future still. And he sets us free from the lake of fire because we read in Revelation 21, Revelation 2.11 and 20.14, who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He that overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Praise God for that. And then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. So we won't have that as our end, amen. Nine, nine. We get freedom from slavery to the world's lies like Darwinism and, and, and philosophies like nihilism and so forth. Colossians chapter two, verses eight and nine says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ." For in him, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. Wow. And how many people are captive by lies? New ageism, you know, occultism, you know, all kinds of, just selfism galore everywhere. Materialism, you know, atheism. Just, it's just amazing. Number 10, this is a big one, because the biggest problem people have in the world is idolatry. Putting things before God. The Bible talks about greed, which is idolatry in Colossians chapter 3, and also says that in Ephesians chapter 5. That's what most Americans struggle for, from. Love for money, love for more things, love to have more than everybody else, instead of just trusting God. And you know what? Number 10 is free from the love of money and the worldly things of this world that captivate so many souls. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, no man can serve two masters. Either he'll love the one and hate the other. Amen. And he says, uh, and I think this is very important to get, mammon is a word for money. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Hebrews 3, 13, 15. Keep yourself, keep your lives, listen to this, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. For God has said, I will never leave you, never, and I will never forsake you. Amen? Why do you think he says that? Because Christians are prone to idolatry if they don't die to themselves and put Christ first. And they can get their eyes on the, 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 you know, what they consider at a certain point, the almighty dollar. Because if you put money before God, you're making money almighty in your life and not God. Our God's promised that he'll meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Amen? Okay? We just need to trust the Lord and seek him and obey him. Follow him. And, and you fall short, confess your sins. Say, Lord, cleanse me by the precious blood of Jesus. Pick yourself up and go forward in Christ. And he'll meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. As, this, as the psalmist said, i never, never seen the righteous begging for bread. God will take care of you. Amen? Now, how are we doing on time here? How much time do I have? <laughs> Coming from Israel, I got one more hour. <laughs> Some people are saying, don't say that. You know, I got lunch date. And, oh, Josh, I got two hours? No, Josh is saying 20. Josh got two up. He means 20, he means 20 minutes. I got it, Josh. Mess with you. 
Okay, praise God. Are we learning? Are we growing? We're being strengthened. You're being challenged to be servants. Praise God. You know what? Uh, guys, we have to rejoice, man, because Jesus is the perfect servant, man. He didn't have to be a servant. He's God. He's the creator of all things. And, and it's interesting because he becomes our kinsman redeemer to save us and bring us out of slavery to Satan and sin and the hell and the, and the world and self and all that. He saves us from that. But he's the ultimate servant. He's the God man. He becomes a man. And it blows me away when you think about it. You see, there's a lot of beautiful typology. And at this fellowship, we love to get into typology because there's these pictures I mentioned that foreshadow Jesus throughout the Old Testament, foreshadow his work in the church. There's foreshadowings of the enemy and the Antichrist, all kinds of things that God shows us in the Old Testament, pictures. And then it's a blow mind because there's a powerful picture way back there in Exodus chapter 21, verses, the first six verses or so, where the servant... After he served his six years, the servant could, you know, now he's set free. But if the master allowed him to marry another servant and he bore children with that woman and he was set free, well, that was the master's servant still, right? He had to leave. Or if he loved his master, it says if he loved his master and he wanted to stay with his wife and kids, he could tell the master, hey, I love you. You know, I want to I serve you forever, the rest of my life. And then the master would take him after those six years and he was supposed to be set free. The master would take him to the doorpost and he'd stick his ear at the doorpost and the master would hammer an awl through his ear and he'd have an earring and that earring would signify that I'm a servant forever to my master because I love him. And it's really, really powerful when you think about that. Verse five says, uh, this, if the servant says, I love my master and I want to stay a, as his slave, okay, it says he'd be brought before the judges, the doorpost, and his master would, is to pierce his ear and he shall serve his master forever. Now, this is really amazing and you're starting to see it. Praise God. Joseph's starting to see the type right now. Pretty, pretty amazing, guys, because guess what? We have the ultimate master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when you think about what this illustration typifies is God created the heavens and the earth in how many days? Six, then he rested, amen? God could have continued to rest, but Jesus says, I work until now. Interesting. He rested, but God became a man, amen? He became our kinsman redeemer. He could have said no to the cross. Remember, he said, I could call 12 legions of angels to rescue me, but he wanted to do the will of the Father. And remember the doorposts that signified the Passover lamb's blood that was flat up there was a picture of Christ as well. Jesus was nailed to wood to serve his father, doing the will of the father. Why? Because he loves his father. He's saying, I want to be with you forever as the God man. As a God man, he had to make a choice. Do I continue to serve you and follow through with this and go to the cross or not? Ooh, and why did the servant of the Lord, or why did, why did a master servant want to stay with him too? So he could have his what? His bride. Amen. Praise the Lord. So, he, amen. You could jump, bro. You know? Praise God. You know, we're somewhat charismatic. 
just not charismania, you know? <laughs> just if you keep jumping, you hop all over the place. We're going to have to say, yeah, everything's going to be done decent in order after. We'll let you do it for a minute, bro. <laughs> you know? But praise God. I pray that people's hearts would leap with God's truth. Like mine does when I study it because I'm praying God help us grow. And you know what? He went to the cross. It says that he endured hostility of sinners against himself. And he went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was the joy set before him? Yes, to do the will of the Father and please his Father, but also to get us, to get you, to be with you forever in his Father's house. Amen? It's such a powerful typology. And so Christ is the ultimate servant, amen? Dying to get us, his servants, and so we could be with him forever and forever. You know, in fact, listen to what this says in Philippians 2, beginning at verse 5. It says, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, amen, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be held on to. He let go. He remained God, but instead of being all worshipped in heaven, he was born in a stinking manger. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. What do you think the Greek word is there? Doulos. It's not diakonos. It's not the other Greek words for servant. It's the lowest servant. Think about what Jesus did for you guys, okay? Think what he did for us, man. What an awesome God. He took the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Not just death either. Not just any ordinary servant, the lowest of servants. And not just death, an ordinary death, but the death on the cross, the most brutal death you could suffer in those days. All for our, our sins. And it says God highly exalted him and gave him the name that's above every name. And you know what? His way up was humbling himself and going down. Amen? Amen. Your way up is humbling yourself and going down. The first will be last, last will be first. Jesus said, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, that you must be the servant of all. Amen? Amen. Man, invest your life in serving God. I challenge you this day. Say, how can I serve him? There's a lot of ways you can serve him. I mean, we should never, with all these servants, all these people love Jesus, we'd never have a shortage of children, uh, church workers. I know, Nicolette, can you raise your hand? Nicolette's revamping our Wednesday uh, children's church, so can you use any help, Nicolette? My wife does a lot for the church, but she, she got on the list to rotate, to make sure she has enough. But how many of you are serving? Get on that list. And Yasmin, raise your hand. She, she runs our children's church overall, and on Sundays, uh, Yasmin, could you ever use help? Do you need help right now? You do need help right now. Brothers, sisters, well, I'm not a sister, that's for, uh, I'm, I'm a brother. No, you're a doulos, okay? Brothers could do a fine job, right, sister? Sisters, right? Amen. So go to them if you can help on a Sunday or Wednesday. We have a great time Wednesday. You don't, I encourage you, you don't just come on Wednesdays or Sundays to hear the word. We come to build each other up. Amen. We're called to encourage one another and serve one another and bless one another. And you need to be around other brothers and sisters to encourage them. Amen? I love you guys. That's why I speak this way. Because your service should start first and foremost at the local church. You can serve in 10 ways, but are you helping the, the church you're at, you know? Your giving should be first and foremost 
to your church, you know, when it comes to helping. There's a thousand and one ministries. They get all kinds of help out there, but sometimes the local churches suffer, you know. And we praise God for all the help we get in this fellowship, all the help that Good Fight Ministry gets, and all you Patreons out there that just really helped us because we couldn't put the videos out the way we're putting them out now and see is the fruit that we're seeing, but we have co-laborers with us and all of us are co-laborers together. We're seeing the fruit come in. We're seeing thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people saved and ministered to, encouraged through this, this good fight and blessed hope. We have countless people. I mean, we got millions of people sometimes, you know, watching our videos with salvation messages in them. That's, that's by God's grace, but it takes a collective effort. It's not one person. You know, as they say, there's no I in team. We all need to work together, amen? But praise God, you're a servant. But if you're really a servant, are you serving? And if you're not serving the Lord, are you really a servant? Whose servant are you, really? Amen? So it says Jesus became a servant. And you know what? He could have, hey, I've done the work. John 17, he said, I finished the work you gave me, Father. Mm, that's right before the cross, though. But guess what? He wanted his bride. He wanted his family to be with the Father forever. Goes to the cross and he says, to tell us die, it is finished. Amen. Then he was able to send to the Father and sit at his right hand. Amen. For the joy set before him. We go through trials, man. The joy set before you to be with your Father and his Son in the family of God forever. Amen. And not just servants, but children of God. Children of the Most High God. Wow, what a privilege it is. To, to know the Lord, amen, and to serve him. Jesus said, Luke 12, 37, blessed are those whose uh, slaves whom the master uh, will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will prepare him. So that supposed to be away because Jesus continues to serve. Listen to this. This is in the future, millennial period. Blessed are those, Jesus said, those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes, meaning you better be ready for Jesus' second coming. Truly I say to you that he will pre pre prepare himself, that is the master Jesus, will prepare himself to serve and have them recline at the table and he will come up and serve them. Next time you think, I don't know if I really want to serve today. God, who deserves all praise, saves the people that deserve his wrath and then he resurrects you, sits you at his table and he serves you. God, get our eyes off of ourselves. Our, meaning, our, our lives are meaningless without him. We have no purpose, no plan, no passion, and no ultimate prayer without him. Jesus was pierced as the servant. In fact, listen to what it says. This is, blows me away. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 6 and 8. This is quoted of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 10, by the way. My ears you have opened. <laughs> opened up the ears. That's a piercing. That's how your ears open. Burnt offering and sin and offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I've come in the scroll of the book that is written of me. I delight to do your will. Oh my God, your law is within my heart. He had his ear opened. Said, I'm your servant, Father. And he had his body pierced. Amen. Amazing. Absolutely amazing, you guys. We need to take being servants and being his priests seriously. Amen. We've got to take it seriously. Right now, well, I'm not in the Holy of Holies yet. I'm not in the temple yet in heaven. I'm, no, it says right now you're a priest. Right now you're a priesthood. Right now we're servants. And guess what? The temple is, it's the church. The body of Christ is called the temple. You individually are a temple. You're a living stone. The Bible says you are the temple. Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, it says? So you're supposed to be serving God as a priest right now. That's your life. What are your plans in the next few days, the next few weeks, next few months? Is it to serve yourself and see what you can get out of life? Or is it to say, Lord, I want, I'm your servant. 
Here am I, send me whatever you want me to do. Amen? That's true Christianity. I know this kind of preaching doesn't get, you know, doesn't draw thousands and tens of thousands of people because guess what? The labors are few. Guess what? Many, it says in the last days, will keep themselves, teachers will tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. So a lot of people want to hear the message that, yeah, guess what? God wants you to be healthy and wealthy. And you can blab it and grab it, name it, claim it, and, and prosperity teaching. It's a false gospel. We're centered around us rather than God. And we become, they even say we become gods. And they try to live like them. And it, it, that's the most popular false gospel preached. It's more popular than the, the true gospel on much Christian TV on TBN and so forth. Those are the popular teachers because it tickles people's ears. Man, we have to have true Christianity, amen? We need to be true to the Lord and recognize that we're part of the God of Christ. You're going to serve self and Satan or you're going to serve the Savior. Make your choice. You're going to serve the temporal kingdom that fades away and perishes or you're going to serve God in his eternal kingdom, amen? You're going to serve and end up in hell forever or you're going to serve the one true God and live with him forever. Today is the day of decision that you have to make the right decision and serve him and put him first in your life. Amen? Amen. You know, Jesus gave an example. In John 13, 2, we read, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel and was, it was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, <laughs> Peter said to him, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. Jesus replied, do you not realize now that what I'm doing? But you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. See, what happens is when you go into a home like that, you typically have a servant, he'd wash everybody's feet. But if no servant was there, the first person there was supposed to wash each other's feet, everybody else's feet. Well, we don't know who the first one there was. We just know they're arguing. You know what they're arguing about at the Last Supper? Who's the greatest? Maybe that's how that argument started. Why should I? I'm, I'm not. And you know what? Jesus takes a towel washes their feet, gets on his knees, washes their feet. And Jesus answered to Peter, unless I wash your feet, or unless I wash you, you have no part of me to Peter. Then Lord, time and Peter replied, not just my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath don't need, they don't need to only wash their feet, not their whole body. Uh, uh, their whole body is clean and you are clean. And he says, though not every one of you, speaking of Judas, right? For he knew who was going <laughs> to betray him. And it goes on to say, that's why he said to them or to everyone, that they were clean, except for Judas, of course. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. By the way, what a picture that is. He left heaven, became a man to wash us from our sins. He left his seat. And when he left heaven, he says he emptied himself. When he left his seat, he took off his outer garments. It's a picture of him becoming a man. And then he condescended and took Peter and these disciples and washed their feet. Then he clothed himself and got back up where he was. Jesus said in John 17, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had with you from the beginning. But before that, he became a man. And he says to him, you call me teacher and Lord, master, and rightly so, for that is what I am, Jesus says. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Catch that? You also should wash one another's feet. 
You also, that's you and I as well, should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example. Uh, listen to this. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I say, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be happy or blessed if you do them. You know why there's so many miserable professing Christians? Because they serve themselves. There's no joy in that, man. The joy of the Lord is in serving him. It says Jesus had joy beyond all of his companions. Why? Because he's the most giving person that ever lived. Brothers and sisters, man, right now there's a lot of talk of royalty, not because of a shirt I wore in and Joe saying that to me, but of the death of the, you know, the queen and everything. But it's interesting, Mark Twain, he wrote a book that was very popular in his time, uh, The Prince and the Pauper. You know what that was about? That was about a prince taking the place of a pauper, a peasant, a mere peasant. And it's about Edward uh, Tudor. He was a prince of Wales, King Henry III's son. And he thought it was funny because he ran into a guy named Tom Canty that looked just like him. He saw him and he was like, that guy looks exactly like I do. And he thought he'd play a prank. He thought it'd be interesting. He brought him into the palace and changed clothes and said, you pretend you're the prince and I'll pretend I'm the pauper. And Tom Canty said, okay. And guess what happened? In the story, they found out the guards and the people, they said, you know, the, 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 you know, they, they, recognized, they didn't recognize him as a man dressed like a peasant. They threw him out of the kingdom. They wouldn't let him back in. And then he was begging and living on the streets, a pauper's life. And the pauper was living in royalty because now he's dressed like a prince. And I thought it very interesting because listen to how Mark Twain begins the story in The Prince and the Pauper. He says, it may have happened. It may not have happened, but it could have happened. Well, guess what? It didn't happen. His story didn't happen. Oh, there was a prince by that name, but he never, there wasn't a pauper that he changed his position with. But, he, but he, it's a fantastic story, man. It could happen. Well, guess what? It did happen in another way. It happened with the Prince of Peace, amen? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And it really did happen. Where he took our place and died in our place so we could have part of his, be part of his kingdom forever, amen? He, it was called, the, we call it the great exchange, man. We deserve the wrath. He is God. He steps in our place, right? To make us part of his righteousness, to give us a righteousness of God, amen? So rejoice, guys, because it's true. And it's far greater than that story because we're saved from sin and Satan and death and far, far, far greater things are at stake. Brothers and sisters, he wants to exchange places. He left his home in heaven, right? So you could leave your home and become part of his home forever, amen? New Jerusalem in the Holy Holies. Can I hear praise God or hallelujah? Amen. That's, that's good stuff, guys. Praise God. We have an awesome God. We have an awesome God. And he wants to live in you. Jesus said to a church that was backslidden and had rejected him, he's outside the church now. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody opens up to me, I'll come into him and I'll sup or fellowship with him and he with me. Not just enter into him, but he'll share fellowship with us. Amen. If you don't know Jesus or you've been far away from him, you need to come back to him. He's knocking. The Bible says don't resist his voice and don't tune him out because it says while the Holy Spirit speaks, it says to receive him today, amen? Receive the Lord today, that is.
If you could all please stand, I'm going to pass out the cup and the bread.